This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Hello and welcome to the throw-in independent.ie's GAA podcast. I'm Will Slattery and just when we thought we could be struggling for talking points after Dublin's 31-point hammering of Westmead, Jim Gavin was kind enough to deliver us some explosive post-match quotes to reignite the Dermot Connolly debate. We'll chat to Kieran Wheel on the phone in just a moment, but first I'm joined in studio by Rory O'Connor of Rory's Stories, Martin Bretney of the Irish Independent, Conor McKeown of the Herald and Dublin legend Alan Brogan. We're going to hear from the panel in just a moment, but first let's listen to Jim Gavin as he addressed the media after yesterday's game. Uh, within 24 hours before the referee's report was, was, was signed off, um, uh, there, there, was a, there was a, I suppose, not a media campaign, but uh, it concerned me was um, the way his, his, I suppose his good name was attacked. Uh, before we even saw the referee's report. You know, we had the national broadcaster in their post-match review, um, but Pat Spillane and, and Conor Moore, particularly Pat, you know, read out a predetermined statement. Um, you know, we saw in Sky Sports the rulebook being read out against them, so very, you know, supporters have come to me and asked me what's going on and why is this unbalance happening, and I'm really kind of struggling to give them a balanced and, 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 and proportionate answer. Um, but... Uh, uh, he said it was, it was my decision to, to, to pursue it with the CHC to get their opinion on it um, and we've received advice from senior counsel that if this went to arbitration you know the, the case wouldn't hold but you know Dermot didn't want that to happen uh, he just wanted to move on and um, in the best interest of the team that's, that's what he decided to do you know within uh, within 24 hours even before the referee's report was, was, was signed off um, and there, there was a, there was a I suppose, not a media campaign, but uh, it got a lot of traction in the media. And I said, I think his good name was, more, more importantly, the, you know, the right that he has as an individual in the Republic. I think his good name was certainly, uh, uh, was certainly attacked, that's for sure. So the, the man's good name in the Republic was attacked, according to Jim Gavin. Martin, I'm sure you've been to a lot of Jim Gavin press conferences. We certainly weren't expecting this kind of maybe outburst. What, were you, what did you make of it, maybe his reasons for going that, down that road? Well, I'm happy to say, first of all, he differentiated between the print media and uh, the broadcast media. We normally all get thrown into the same the same pot, and uh, I think he identified uh, who exactly he had in mind. I'm not quite sure what what uh, Jim measures things very carefully. So, what, what quite what he had in mind with this, I don't know. I can only assume that uh, he wanted to 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 make a point uh, in relation to into 
how he felt that Connolly was, was hard done by, but obviously at this stage it doesn't really matter. The only winners out of this, of course, are RTE. They've turned the Sunday game now into the talking point for the for the week. Uh, the various people whose names were mentioned will have plenty to say, and only for me to add to it, we, we they'll be back having plenty to say. So they've gained out of this. Has Jim lost it? I think perhaps, I'm not quite sure why he did it. As I say, he's, he's very measured. So what has he gained? What have Dublin gained? And the answer is nothing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Alan, from the players' perspective, you know, if they hear the, these comments after the game, are they thinking, oh, yeah, it's great to see our manager standing up? Or are they kind of scratching their heads being like, I thought this was done and dusted and now our manager's gone, you know, to the media and kind of fired a few broadsides? Yeah, I think the players will, will probably appreciate Jim's sentiments. But like Martin, uh, uh, like I think it's strange. Jim is very measured and this is not a knee-jerk reaction. Like He's had lots of time to think about this, lots of time to think about how he'd handle it. And um, Personally, I would have thought he might have been better off go through the channels, maybe privately, maybe talk to RT himself and say, look, I wasn't happy with how you handled this. And, Where's the fun um, in that? Yeah, there's no fun for us in that, obviously. No fun for the... no. No fun for the media, in it, but it is, but it is a strange. But I can see his point as well. Um, like I think looking at at, at, at how Pat's plan, as he mentioned in particular, responded. I thought he was quite aggressive in his analysis. Do you um, think? I did think so. I did think so. I, 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 obviously, the Sunday game. I think have to have a right to look at these incidents and analyse them. But uh, just the Kieran Whelan there. I just wonder if the shoes on the other foot and it was Kieran Whelan analysing maybe a Kerry footballer I think his his kind of response or his, his analysis might be a lot more balanced than we saw from Pat but in saying that RTE do have to have a right to or the Sunday game do ha- have a right to look at these in- instances and analyse them Yeah Kieran, what did you make of your RTE colleagues uh, I suppose on the night when they when they criticised Connolly at the time it seemed like they were kind of just given a fairly kind of fact based or, or kind of pointing to, to, the, to the ban but subsequently obviously Jim Gavin had a big problem with it and then last night Joe Brawley and Desi Dolan kind of agreed with Jim's assessment yeah, listen. It, you're always. It's always going to be comments on the Sunday game are always going to be taken out of context um, in the manner of how they're delivered, I suppose. But I suppose if you go back to the original incident, Dermot obviously got frustrated that that night, as we know, and it was very, I suppose, clear in what he done. He shouldn't have done that. And I think Jim Gavin has accepted that, and Dermot has accepted that, and and that's why the lads are questioning what is the benefit of this dragging up. But it was 24 hours, I suppose, before Pat Land delivered. His verdict on it, and it was all over social media for 24 hours. The videos was going around, um, Sky Sports had highlighted four or five times. So sometimes, you know, people are waiting kind of on the Sunday game to see, are they the the ones that are going to deliver the dagger here? And I think that can be, the the reaction can be over the top. Like Pat, yes, he may, he possibly could have defended them a little bit more based on the frustrations that he was under at the time, um, from three players on the sideline, uh, he is targeted and stuff like that. But at the same time, he, I suppose it's his duty to analyse this thing, these types of incidents, and give his opinion based on what he thinks. Uh, and I suppose he is entitled to do that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by, you know, Jim's reaction that he's okay pinning it on Pat Spillane per se because. Pat Milan didn't, I suppose, get Dermot Connolly the suspension here. You know, Dermot Connolly's actions probably got him the suspension and they've accepted that. So sometimes I think the reaction to Sunday game can be a little bit over the top. And what we do also have to accept is that there's been incidents all throughout the year and, and various years where there's controversies. And it is probably the expectation out there is that the Sunday game would deal with them and they give our opinion on it. If they didn't, there'd be no point in having the Sunday game. So uh, it's, 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 listen, it's a difficult one. Um, from Jim's perspective, 
I admire that he was defending Dermot Connolly. He was obviously able to make a point. Does he benefit from it? I don't think so. Does it benefit Dermot Connolly? I don't think so either because I'd say Dermot wanted this to go away. So, you know, as Martin Benny alludes, uh, probably the only winners are RT, but the Sunday game is all over the news for, for, for the next week or so. Uh, and I'd like to think from a Dublin perspective that this was a once-off because I don't think it reflects well on Dublin football going forward if they were to kind of withdraw services from National Broadcasters, Sky Sports and RT. I don't think that would be a good image from Dublin football going forward. Yeah, Connor. one of the points Jim made in his post-match remarks was that he felt that the CCC might have acted purely because of the kind of the fuss that was kicked up on in the media boat on Sky and the Sunday game. Is that realistic in your point of view or is that kind of clutching the straws kind of? Well, it's hard to know. I mean, like, if you go back through the years, like, the, you know, the history of, of people being, you know, uh, suspended um, when they haven't been sent off in matches, it tends to happen more often in the matches that are covered by live television. But, like, I mean, Live television being at the game just meant that people got to see what Dermot Connolly did. And, and like, like Jim's problem and his frustration, uh, as he said yesterday, seemed to be that a lot of the coverage in the immediate aftermath was one-sided. But I would... I, I mean, you have to take the opinion that it was a pretty black and white yeah, case the side in, to in, it, in yeah. this sort of situation now. I, like, I mean, I don't think there was a huge amount of mitigation going into it. I know people were talking about uh, provocation and the spat that Dermot Connolly had been involved in just prior to uh, making contact with Karen Brannigan, but that doesn't really count when you apply the letter of the law to the situation as they did here. And, I mean, the other thing that Jim said yesterday that was interesting in how he saw this play out was that he thought the referee and the linesman had dealt with it at the time, that by taking no action, they hadn't deemed it to be minor physical interference with an official. Now, that would be hard to believe, but, I mean, he he, he essentially suggested that between, you know, the referee or the CCC or some unknown entity there, that the thing had been added to a report when it wasn't going to be added to a report prior to the explosion across media platforms uh, and the inevitable reaction. But, I mean, he has to take on board that Dublin are a bigger deal than, you know, nearly every team in the GAA and Dermot Connolly is bigger news than essentially every player in the GAA. Yeah, like, from a main man's perspective, when I was watching it, like, yeah, Maid were still with him in the show playing Dublin in the Leinster final, but I definitely sided with Connolly. Um, and I remember watching this in the game and Spillane couldn't wait to, to get it out as all the, all the info we had. And to me, like... If Brendan Murphy was being held back by three Dublin players and like it, and it was aggressively, I don't care anyone said it was physically it would annoy. He done well not to react to these three players, and I think Eamon Fennell made a good point there and that Dub Hub and FM one afford that a Dublin player should have took responsibility and come in and drag Connolly out there like realizing that Dermo is liable here. But the case I'm saying is if it was Brendan Murphy who done the exact same thing, would Pat Spillane and Conor Rock be ready all guns blazing to have a go at Brendan Murphy? I don't think so. Yeah. And I know they're saying which one, but Connolly just has that tag. He's, he's always had that bit of madness in him. And I do think if it was any other player, and we go back to the Key Higgins issue with the with the knee and the Spandugals, like the Galway player. That That's was true. Bro- like, they that, treated that, was, that as a bit of a joke. A bit of a joke. Game, like, what do you, like, they need him like, down below, as you say. And, and there wasn't half the argument about it. And which is more, I know you can't touch an official, but if Connolly, if Connolly's hand was two inches further back to where he was, he wouldn't have even touched him. And nothing he said, he would have just been pointing the finger. So that's where I, I personally feel sorry for Connie, and I can see where Jim Gavin's coming from. And there was a response in that Dublin team yesterday. They went out and wanted to absolutely annihilate Westmead to lay, lay, lay down a marker that we're okay, we're getting over this. And that's my point of view on it anyway. Yeah, Martin, do you think there's an element of this controversy that has been media-driven or media-manufactured that the incident was kind of maybe over-covered by certain people? 
No, I don't think I don't think it would matter if it was Brendan Murphy. I think it would have been dealt with the same way. And in fairness, the difference with Keith Higgins was he was sent off on the spot. The, I mean, the, the, James Connolly's case, no action was taken, which is interesting as well. It has to be said, and, and it doesn't take away from the fact that James Connolly had a case to answer. However, it was the most unusual situation that you had a linesman who was that there was allegedly phys- a minor physical interference or whatever, but he didn't seem to know that he'd been uh, uh, interfered with <laughs> in a minor capacity. A, lines, a referee, he was standing reasonably close by, he didn't see anything either. And you say, well, why didn't they see it? Now, you can, that's a different argument. But at the same time, uh, it, 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 they didn't take any action. Why? And that question, th- that has never been answered. It only arose afterwards. Wh- wh- why did the linesman change his mind afterwards? That he suddenly, oh, guess what? I was pushed by, by James Connolly. And the referee, well, God, n- now that you mention it, uh, we better put that in the report. It still doesn't alter the, fa- the fact that James Connolly was out of order. But that doesn't quite figure out, that doesn't add up in my view, how an inter-county referee, which Kieran Brannigan is, didn't take any action. And obviously it seemed to me that he thought, let it, let it go, it's not that bad, I let it go. And then everything kicked off afterwards. But it does raise a question as to why uh, two, re- two inter-county referees didn't deal with it. Well, referees and lines were human too. They probably, you know, read the papers, watch TV, so the, the backlash... Oh, no. Yeah, but he was there. He was on the spot. Kieran mm. Brannigan was the man. Where so you pushed, where you... In his mind, he thought this was fine. Conley was obviously a bit... But, I had it. It's OK, Dermot. But, but he, he is an inter-county team. referee. He, must not, he, he should know the rules better than anybody that if that happens, that he... That he I mean, he... and uh, he, he, should have, he should have acted. There's no doubt about and that. And what a way that was. And, and if you have an, well, so if you have an inter-county that. referee... Who was Kieran Brannigan, and he didn't know that the rule had been broken. Well, I mean, he was refereeing a, a championship match the following Sunday. I mean, what confidence can you have in a referee who doesn't know that, in actual fact, this rule was broken? Mm. I think there is an issue here, though, how it ended up in the referee's report. Like, what was the course of the events after the match? We may never find out at this stage, but what happened in the, in the immediate aftermath of the match? Did the linesman and the referee speak and say, Oh, do we miss this incident? That's how it ended up. Was there some outside interference that somehow it ended up? Because if that was the case, then we have a bigger problem here well, than, we were than told that, what, that the, what we were told was that in the post-match debrief whatever that means <laughs> uh, tension was brought to the fact that uh, by the linesman that uh, that, uh, that something had happened but that's, that's the I'm not even sure what the, the post-match the debrief is but there you go that was, that was, that was the well line. I just hope from from a GA perspective that there was nothing untoward going on there and there was an outside in, that there was no outside interference that led to it ended up in the referees report but that's Probably a chat for another. Yeah, game. When, when the incident happens, obviously you know it's Dublin, it's Dermot Connolly, it's high-profile players. But I know Joe Brody's talked a lot about it, and some of his stuff gets headlines. But his key point was the kind of the sanctity of the GA disciplinary process and how it can't be kind of influenced by outside people. And if the game is refereed on the spot, then you can't go back in, Connor, and change you know result change like the action of a referee. Yeah, I actually think the most interesting thing that Jim Gavin said yesterday was that their legal advice suggested very strongly that had they brought the case to the DRA. And it's, it's on this point as to how it wound up in the referee's report that had they brought it to the DRA, they would have got Dermot Connolly off. So they were pretty certain that at some stage there was a breach of procedure um, and that if they, got it, if they brought it all the way, they'd get Connolly off in a technicality. But I think, it, it, from what it seems to be, is that Dermot didn't want to be the fellow who, who got himself off in a technicality when both himself and his manager admitted yesterday what he had done was essentially wrong. Yeah, Alan, have you interested to get your point on this like when you were obviously involved with Dermot for a long time in teams and he had similar instances where he maybe he saw red and was involved in instances what was the reaction among the teammates did they, as a senior player yourself would you have pulled them aside and said 
here, Dermot, you need to curb this in your game or you need to do this or that, or it's very much you leave that to the management because it seems like this stuff has been recurring over a number of years and maybe the, there's a leadership group that it should be kind of dealing with it as well. Yeah, to be honest, I think it's left to the management. Like Dermot's a very, very experienced footballer at this stage. Like he's playing with Dublin since he was 19. He's made probably more mistakes than most. So, um, But in saying that, he is, like he gets his fair share of attention. Anything he does is... is, is is hyped up a lot. Granted, he is probably involved in more instances than 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 he probably should be. But like I'm sure he knows himself. And the fact Jim said yesterday it was him who wanted to take this to the to take this on to the next level. It wasn't Dermot. So even that suggests to me that he said, right, I made a mistake here. Let's just take the medicine and move on. It's it's twelve weeks and like f- like from a player's perspective, coming back to the the the. the disciplinary process like I don't pl- think players know exactly how the disciplinary process works in the GA like people in the media know obviously the hierarchy in the GA know but the players when somebody gets sent off they don't, I don't even know what when I was playing I don't know what appeals board it goes or when does it go to the DRA or when do you bring in a solicitor when does the county board secretary defend you it's just I think it's just a mess at the moment and it really needs to be simplified for the, for the, for the sake of the players I think yeah, Kieran. Moving back to the, I suppose the game itself. Yeah, you know, after Dublin's win against Carlo, they didn't kind of maybe hit the t- height. Certainly in attack, I guess you know, racking up four twenty nine. Uh, you know, yesterday against what Mead would put some of those fears to bed. Were you pleased with how the forwards gelled after maybe a tough couple of months? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I think you know, Dublin certainly made a statement yesterday, and and you know, you wonder how their training schedule has gone over the last couple of months. We know they took five weeks off after the league. You know, they may have trained through the Carlo match and, you know, maybe they're seeing the, reaping the benefits of that. But I, I think the biggest thing from Dublin's perspective yesterday was the younger guys. And, you know, to see the likes of Paul Mannion step up to the plate with a man of match performance, Conor Callan, even getting to kick a few scores in the first half in Club Park, huge factor for him. You know, I thought Scully was excellent. Eric Lowndes was good. Brian Howard when he came off the bench. And I think that's the most positive aspect from Dublin yesterday, that the new breed got got into that environment, got in their groove, kicked a few points, they'll take great confidence from it. But like Dublin's performance was yesterday was kind of what we had seen back two years ago, 2013, you know, when they were just relentless. They didn't give up to the very end. When they got their foot on Westmead, they they kind of crushed them and the work right right to the very end was excellent. The running lines going forward, they they pushed up high on the pitch and they really squeezed Westmead on their own kick out. So there was huge positives from Dublin because you would have been reflecting and saying, Well listen their goals set had, had reduced. They'd only got nine goals last year compared to 18 the previous year. There were aspects of their game that they weren't as fluid as, as we had seen. They were poor enough, poor at times throughout the National League. But yes, it was a huge statement and um, it, it would certainly put the fear of God, I would have thought, into a lot of other teams that Dublin are, are, are certainly have the appetite for three in a row. And, and if if they have a purpose now, if Jim's coming out quite aggressive and, and, and he's trying to develop a bit of mentality in the dressing room, personally, I don't think it would that benefits him because I think it becomes a distract, distraction but from a Dublin perspective yes it was usually positive yeah Connor, was it a case oh sorry was it, Connor, was it a case of Dublin kind of refining their form or was it Westmead were just well, so so poor yeah well we asked Tom Crippen afterwards what was the difference and he said look the players wanted to have a go this year he said they played with a double sweeper in the last two years and they lost by I think 13 and 15 points and he said that this time the players had told him um, that they wanted to have a go that they felt that they, at this time they weren't going to win any friends for trying to constrict the space and I asked Tom Crippen straight out like what's the difference with Dublin this year and last year and he says to be honest with you they're, they're roughly on a par the difference in the scoreline was how we approached the game yeah, Martin, what do you make of Tom Cribben kind of, you know, listening to the players in that regard? The players asked him to go more open. He did, 31-point defeat. 
Well, sure. I suppose you can understand it. I mean, they might as well have they might as well have a go. But but my issue with Westmead was they didn't have a go. I thought they were they were extremely poor, and I've got to say I thought they they, they didn't show a whole lot of heart either. I know they were up against a much superior force, and it's got to be borne in mind this was the Division Four team this year playing the the team that's been top for the last number of years. But I thought, and their body language coming out for the second half, they looked like guys who just did not want to be there. And you can say, oh, God, you've got to understand that. And you have, but at least Carlo had a go, had a go off Dublin. And they they had a system, a structure. They made it hard for Dublin. They lost by 12 points. But that's about right, I suppose. There'd be 12 points per middle of Division 4 and, and, and where, uh, where Dublin are. I just thought Westmead, having been beaten by 13 and 15 points last year, if they decided to have a go, it didn't work. And they threw their heads in the air and let it go. And, you know, I, 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 it just wasn't, it, did, it, it didn't all go well for them, we'll for them in the next round in the qualifiers. When the Dublin, even if you look at the Dublin substitutions, like to compound the thing, not only did Westmead leave themselves with no chance of winning the game, not only did they approach the second half with a really bad attitude, or not a bad attitude, but they looked like a team who were collectively beaten. The fellas who Dublin brought in off the bench, like Bernard Brogan, Ono Gara, Kevin McManaman, like fellas who absolutely probably think they should be in the starting 15. And you could see those lads were absolutely, they were mad to get on the score sheet. Like Kevin McManaman, there was no real need to go for that goal late on in the game. There was absolutely no one. But he wanted, you know, Jim Gavin to know that he, he still had goals in him. So when you can bring fellas like that in off the bench, I think Dublin scored something like 2-6 or 2-5 from the 69th minute until the full-time whistle. So, you know, it goes to show you that while players and managers talk about competition within the squad and we think it's a cliche because we hear it so often, it's a real driving force behind a performance like that for Dublin. Yeah, there can't be a more demoralising sporting experience in a long time than being, what, 10, 12 points down at half-time and you look over to the sideline, Bernard Brogan, Kevin McMenamin coming off the bench. What, what did you make of uh, kind of the makeup of the forward line and how he used the subs, you know, your brother coming in, Kevin McMenamin coming in? Yeah, I thought, as, as, as Connor said, I thought everyone was extremely hungry, even the guys that came in, and they're competing against themselves in a game like that. Like, it wasn't about what they could, what they could score, the guy they were marking. They were going out to make a statement, seeking to get a jersey the next time, or seeking to get themselves up the pecking order. But like I thought, Westmead completely caved in in the second half, and and, and I'm sure we all remember we won games like that before we won the All Ireland in 2011 and 07, 08, 09 by huge scores in the Leinster Championship. But it didn't convert into us winning All Irelands or even getting to an All Ireland final. So I think Jim Gavin won't pay a huge amount of attention to the game yesterday. I don't think the Dublin players will pay a huge huge amount of attention to it, and they know the next day against Kildare will be a much sterner test. Whether Kildare will have enough of them remains to be seen, but I think they're a fitter, younger, stronger team. Kildare, they'll be a lot hungrier than than, than Westmead or yesterday, and I think it will be a completely different test for Dublin. Yeah, Kieran. before the Dublin-Westmead game, you know, it looked like we were heading towards what could be a very competitive Leinster final, or at least the most competitive one under Jim Gavin. Uh, is that possibility now very remote after yesterday's game, or do you still think Kildare can really push Dublin? Uh, like, like again, I wouldn't get too carried away. Yes, Dublin came out and they did what they had to do, and it was just—it was nice to see them cut loose. Like it was—it was very interesting. Like if you reflect on Tom Gibbons said his players wanted to wanted to have a goal. Like Tom Gibbons is a manager. You know, he should know what what he has at his disposal, and he should know what's the best way to play Dublin at this stage, having experience against them. You know, the last two years, like it's it, the trend. The trend. The trendy word now is you know push up and have a go and all this sort of stuff and play football that everybody wants to see. But you've got to be realistic about it as well. Some teams, you've got to cut your cloth, and some teams are just not at that level to compete with the top teams. So, like, I think tactically, Westmead were very naive yesterday to think that they're going to go out man on man and play Dublin and expect to get any closer. And the downside to that is it is game over after 15, 16 minutes, and it is demoralising. And those players are waking up this morning thinking, well, could we have done things differently and, and, and try to stay in the game? And I know it mightn't be easy on the eye, but, you know, I think with a huge lesson yesterday for 
for some of the weaker teams that how they set up and how they approach games that they have to do what suits, suits them best but you know, I'm looking forward to Kildare you know Kildare were very impressive against Mead and they've been, they've been hyped up a hell of a lot but you know how poor were Mead is, is, is the other question and you know the Mead defence certainly for me uh, was very poor on the day the, the full back line was five yards off it allowed Kildare play there was no pressure on the ball coming out the field Mead left Kildare look good um, so it's going to be a huge step up for Kildare the next day and even 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 as I said a couple of weeks ago, coming into Crow Park is going to be a, a critical factor for Kildare. You look back, you know, Galway beat them, Westmead beat them last year, um, Dublin have given them a few hammerings over the last few years in the league. Crow Park hasn't been a nice place for Kildare and I think that's going to be their biggest challenge mentally is coming in because they're, they're, they're coming up against a Dublin team, fit, hungry, everybody fighting for positions um, and the expectation bar has risen for them so uh, it's going to be a crucial first 15, 20 minutes for Kildare and it's going to be interesting to see how they set up they're going to have to ask questions of Dublin early, early on early on in the game to stop them getting into their flow Yeah Rory it seems only a few short weeks ago that you were predicting maybe a Dublin Mead Leinster final it feels a long time ago now but do you still think that we could get a good Leinster decider even though Dublin looked so impressive yesterday yeah well we're talking about the, the tactics there like I couldn't understand uh, the Westmead keeper just constantly booming the ball down the middle when you have Fenton who's probably the best midfielder pound for pound and James McCarty who's another great field of a ball and two ball winners from Westmead's perspective in the full forward line Martin and, and Hessen just Every ball was just broken, one, 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 and he didn't even try and hit a corner back. So that to me was like throwing straight away, throwing the towel in there, just get the ball out, hopefully win a break, get a score or two. But yeah, we were saying last week that I think Kildare in the best position possible to meet Dublin, but they kind of dashed my hopes yesterday, Dublin, a little bit the way I thought their hand and handling in the forwards was just incredible. Like in such a small space, the way they were getting the hands, you always talk about getting your hands to chest, and it was just the way they moved the ball so slick. Um, but like I said I think Clare in the best position they have a strong midfield that can cope with whether Cluxon's not going to give the, entertain them at all with kickouts they'll have to push up obviously to get the ball out but I still think 7 points is what I would call it like Dublin Clare I think that and that's if Dublin or if Clare play like as we said Clare could come up to Crow Park and you know just see headlights and go oh my god here's Dublin again and Dublin could get lead and they could win by 15 it could be possible so Kildare at their very best I think they're still going to be 6 or 7 in it Yeah Martin do you expect it to be a closer game like Kildare got, you know, won the, or got promoted to Division 1 this season so. uh, yeah, I mean look Kildare are, got into Division 1 so you'd have to say they were a top their top ten in the country because of, on foot of that Westmead were and Westmead were top twenty five. I mean that's there is there is a big difference, no doubt at all about that. The problem, I suppose, is the, the, the standard in Leinster. I mean, the, this is a difficulty for the GA in general. The standard that Dublin have gone so far ahead, and Dublin obviously is one of the best, possibly the best Dublin team of all time. But it, it, it coincides with I can never remember a period when when Leinster. The rest of Leinster were so bad, and that's that's that so many of them were so bad. You'd always have somebody when Meads weren't going well, Kildare might leash, might Westmead had their awfully, of course. Now they're all, I mean, it's, it's Kildare got into Division One, but there was nobody in Division One up to only Dublin for, for a few years. And it's just a serious situation for the GA in general that Dublin are so far ahead in Leinster, and that Kildare. We'll see now what happens in the Leinster final, but that Meath and Kildare, Leash, Offaly, those counties that were always challenging Kildare, back, or Dublin, back in the Heffo's days and in the, the all through and through Alan's Grey, who uh, Westmead beat you, and the whole, all of this, you know, different times. 67,000 people there was a no eight when Westmead ran them to two points. What has happened to the rest of Leinster? That is a serious, serious issue, I think, for the GA in general. Yeah, because even like I, I saw some highlights of that Westmead game when Paulie O'Shea's team beat, beat you guys. That feels like a lifetime, like a different sport almost. Just, it's night and day. Yeah, but we would have had a, like a number of 
a number of games in the Leinster Championship over the course of from say 02 up to 09 where it was really really competitive against Westmead Leash some great games but those games don't seem to be there at the moment but funnily I think yesterday is actually going to work in Kildare's favour like three weeks ago four weeks ago Kildare beat a Mead team who didn't perform on the day and all of a sudden we're talking about Kildare the team that might beat Dublin and it's like it's kind of come from nowhere in my view and like I was looking at social media and every second or third tweet is how about Kildare are back and how they're going to compete with Dublin. And I was like, where? just because they beat a Mead team that didn't play well on the day, um, it was just strange to me. But now all that pressure has gone off Kildare again. Now they can just go out and have a rattle at Dublin. The pressure's back on Dublin after yesterday, whereas before people were saying, myself included, saying Dublin's form was a little bit patchy and where they're on the road a long time and maybe they're coming to the end, a couple of the guys getting a bit old. So I think yesterday will work in Kildare's favour in that all the pressure's off them now and the pressure's back on Dublin to produce a similar performance to what we saw yesterday. Yeah, and what did you make of your brother's performance off the bench yesterday? Yeah, I thought he was good again. Um, same as against Carlo. I'm sure he got on with about 17 or 18 minutes to go. Probably would have liked to be on before that. But look, all he can do is, is go on and do the job when he's asked to do. I thought, talking about his handling, I thought he got one or two very slick hand passes off. And I think he's he looks really sharp. I know he's trained really hard. He's put a lot into it. And, and, and he's not uh, he's not going to go easy, put it that way. Well, Carlo Callum keep him out of the team further down the line. I think he seems to be the next burner broken coming yeah, up the ranks. Like. like in fairness to Conor, thought he did very well in the first half yesterday. He went a little bit quiet in the second half, but I think a couple of the scores he got in the he got in the first half when the game was still a game was were excellent. Um, so I think certainly Conor's probably done enough to hold on to a spot the next day. But I think like I think it will be a different game the next day. It'll be a lot tighter. Leinster final, more pressure on on the likes of Conor and Niall Scully and those guys. So um, he'll probably go with a similar team, but. So it'd be great to have the likes of Bernard and Bernard and Kevin McMenon coming off the bench to put the pressure on these guys, and that's what Jim will want going into an All Ireland series. Yeah, Connor. Interestingly, I saw Saturday there was there was only five guys from 2011. You know, I on the pit. four, but, but four. I think think four in the Dublin starting lineup from the 2011, uh, which I was actually startled by. You know, you, you still have it in your head that the spine of the team is roughly the same that have won the All Irelands uh, all through. But it goes through as being kind of gradual change. And even if you were to do it, it like a thing like if you were to pick Dublin's, you know, undroppables, the, the the fellas who are the heartbeat of the team now, even from three four years ago, like when you would have said Michael Darren McCauley, Keno Sullivan, Rory O'Carroll, Bernard Brogan, Paul Flynn, like you'd be looking now at Kieran Kilkenny and Brian Fenton and Jack McCaffrey and these sort of like obviously Cluxon is the one that's you know unmovable, but James McCarthy as well. Like McCarthy didn't have his greatest game for Dublin yesterday, but he went into midfield. You know Dublin are struggling for somebody with Brian Fenton there. Then he went in full back on top of John Heslin uh, at, around the time that Heslin looked like he might kind of spark the life and you know the team has and it's probably to Jim Gavin's eternal credit as well he's obviously had good players to bring in but he's managed that transition very well and it's it's been so smooth that we haven't really noticed yeah, Kieran. another aspect of yesterday's game that's kind of been talked about a lot, like I know I saw about a thousand tweets on social media about it, was like the manner of a 31-point defeat again raised the question of the championship structure and should these teams even be playing in the same in the same championship? Like, did, did yesterday's game kind of magnify anything in your mind or, or do you still have a, a fairly similar yeah. view on it? Well, listen, you know, I think Alan alludes to it there. This has been happening for years, probably in, in length of championships. And, you know, you can understand the weaker counties um Concerns, you know, they do want more games to progress. Um, they do need more games to progress. You know, in, in my mind, I think with the, with, with the Super 8s coming obviously next year, which I think will reinvigorate the latter stage of the championship, I do think we should realign. There should be a broader 
uh, thought process to realign maybe that the, the teams that lose in the first round in the provincial championships go into a, a kind of a B competition and, and it runs in, in alignment similar along the lines of the, the Super 8 right up to August, September because we got to we have to be realistic we have to respect the weaker counties and respect that they want to progress uh, but there is a huge huge gap and they're probably not getting the best players on the field it's a tough life down there in Division 3 and Division 4 and maybe they need some, some sort of different ambition and target to go for and try and progress and come up through the ranks because listen, anybody that was in Crow Park yesterday and I know Westmead you can have teams that have a particular off day and you're, you're going to get big differences in results every now and then but anybody that was in Crow Park yesterday after 20 minutes you know the game was essentially over as a contest and the atmosphere was flat and so I don't think these type of games bring it ever to the championship we've had a brilliant championship so far I'd say the quality of football has been, has been excellent but I think we have to be realistic and, and put some sort of system in play that will give these teams more games throughout the summer months uh, and have a realignment of a, of, of a second year competition Yeah Martin like what do you, you make of that obviously Dublin Westmead was very lopsided but then in the Monaghan down game you had a really good advert for why you know these structures still can offer so much like where do you weigh in on it well you see it, it, it's very difficult with if you have a second tier competition and, and, and Kieran is right first of all Haulers are quite happy to play in, in, in two, three, and four tier, but there seems to be a, a great reluctance among footballers to do it. So, and if you were to do it, where do you draw the? Where do you? Where's the cut-off point? For instance, if you were to do the top sixteen, well, Armagh would be in um, would be in the in the second the second grade at the moment. Now, try telling Armagh that they're they're not going to compete for the you know at at the at the top end. But there's certainly a case to be made for that uh, for. A, a second uh, tier competition with the final semi-final a play with the final played as a curtain raiser to the All-Ireland final that should definitely be there because next year under 17s will be the minor age grade will be under 17 now are we going to have under 17s from the strong counties in Crow Park on All-Ireland final day while counties players from the weaker counties have no chance of getting there senior players who might be around for a very very long time I think this is a this is a time with the with the minor going to under seventeen. You say right, see can we do this? See can we market it? Not do what they did with the Tommy Murphy Cup and just had an afterthought that nobody really cared about. See can you market it? See can you sell it? See can you make a, the, the the prize worth winning? Because it it's if if you do that, players will will you still have to have the provincial championships by the way, and that would always give you yesterday sort of result because it seems to me players want the provincial championships and the public want them. The figures show that that the 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 tennis that provincial championships are always bigger than when teams meet outside, say in the qualifiers, teams from the same provinces. So people want the provincial championships, but there has to be some incentive for the weaker counties down the road. I'll give you an example why why it has to happen. If you take the case of Fermanagh and Tomas Corrigan yesterday, like they're now out of championship, it's. What the 26th of June now, so there's, there's there's six and a half months before they play a game again or something like that. He's playing with my own club, St Oliver Plunkus. He couldn't play in the last in the second round of Dublin Championship because it was a week away from the first round of 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 um, Fermanagh's Ultra Championship game. We were beaten in that game, so his season is now as good as over. With six months left in the year, he'll have a few league matches for the club. But in terms of of competitions that he was going after, a Dublin Senior Championship and an Ultra Championship are running the qualifiers like he's done now until next January. So a player of his, a player of his calibre that's hungry to play football, and I'm sure there's loads of other examples the same as him that, that, that'll have six months well, now sitting he, around he, there. They were in Division 2 this year, from now we're in Division 2. So would you have a Division 2 team in the secondary competition? This is the difficulty of, of the grading thing, you know, or would, uh, would they, you know, it's, it, that's very high level to have. Where, where's the cut-off point? Well, division 1, yeah. Division 2 and yeah. 1, Division 3 and Division 4 and the other. Yeah, yeah and Division 3, Tipperary for instance, Division three, and they were all in semi-finals last year. So it's very difficult to to actually get the grading right. 
that's the thing like you know as Martin said there Connor like they still want to keep the, a lot of people still want to keep the provincials but they want to have a round robin and they want to have a B competition there's so many <laughs> different and you need to cater for the club players but this is the thing and this is why you can take the GPA's stance on this or their effort to try and get I feel sorry for the GPA trying to get their proposal over the line because what the GPA did essentially was they asked everybody what they want and they asked everybody what they don't want and everybody wants everything and nobody wants to get rid of everything. The GPA proposal was the most convoluted. Well, it wasn't it was convoluted. It, it, it created far too many matches with, within it. But, but the reason that was that the people that they asked, the people whose opinions are reflected, didn't want to get rid of anything. The people, the lads who are playing Ulster Football Championship absolutely do not want to get rid of the Ulster Senior Football Championship. I would imagine that if you did uh, a snapshot of the responses that came back to you about the Provincial Championship within Leinster, it might have been slightly different. Uh, but the Ulster Championship is a big thing for those sort of players. And look, if Ross Common won the Connacht Championship, it would be a big thing for those players. And given the state of Cork football at the moment, if they won, and same thing with Kildare in, in Leinster. But the problem here is that nobody wants to get rid of anything. There's nobody to say this is the priority. And this is probably where, and you know, this isn't the only issue that you could say this about where the GA probably need to take this on at executive level. Come up with the best uh, solution, which they think will solve people's problems. Take the hit from the criticism from the things that they drop and just put it in on a two-year basis and say, look, this is what the championship is now. We're still going to have an All-Ireland winner. It's still going to be Kerry or Dublin or Mayo or Tyrone or whoever it's going to be and see how everybody feels after the two years of the thing because at the moment everybody wants more games everybody wants more time for the club but they also want more championship games at the height of summer between teams at the same level they also want the provincial championship but they don't want small teams being hammered so I, I mean it, it, it's <laughs> but kind of the GPS scheme actually, or the GPS system had division 1, 2, 3 and 4 wasn't it the, the graded uh, for a round robin oh, yeah, so you'd everything. have division 4 teams all of the division 4 teams uh, would be up against division 1 teams so we'd, ha we'd have a lot of matches like we had in Crow Park yeah, and a round robin uh, where the results would be known in advance and the problem and, with know. the round robin as well is and it's, it's, yeah. it, it's funny just Alan talked about the Dublin Senior Football Championship Dublin Senior Football Championship is a very good championship competition wise and from next year it looks like they're going to take in a situation where they're going to have a round robin you know uh, four, uh, eight groups of four teams but the problem with there and the problem that they might face in the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship is you get hammered in the first round like, where's the motivation? Like, you know you're not going to qualify from your group. Like, are, are fellas going to stop saying on inter-county level? Are they going to stop going to America and playing football there for the summer because they're going to play in the B Championship? So it's the incentivization of the B Championship, you know, whether it's a route back into the A Championship or whether it's, as Martin suggested, playing the final in Crow Park on All-Ireland Senior Final Day. But, like, I mean, you can't just put together a competition, you know, because it makes sense structurally and then expect everybody to buy into it because they won't. Well, there's no structure in the in, in any sport in the world that will be able to prevent a hammering if a really good team is forced to play and a really weak team. as well. People kind of lose their marbles over yesterday's result. But, like, the fact of sport is there's good teams and there's bad teams. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and like, you know, that's just a fact of life. The thing about the Leinster Football Championship, I know a lot of team, a lot of people will say, well, it's unfair the way Dublin are at the moment. But, like, a lot of these counties aren't exactly tearing up trees and the qualifiers afterwards. And a lot of them don't Except <laughs> Except Longford, but a lot of them don't play Dublin in your average Leinster Senior Football Championship year. So, you know, it, it, it's probably the obvious thing to blame Dublin because they are the big, you know, successful behemoth in the province. But I don't think it's exclusively Dublin's problem either. See, on, on, sorry, man, just on that, like, like, if you go to club level, so you've seen her intermediate and junior, you sit down in a junior club, your aim is to win the junior championship in whatever county you are, and you're all prized towards October. Where if you have the minnows, say, of, of they sit down in November, like, what is their goal? If their goal is to get 
promoted in the league and then go as far as they can in, in an intercounty championship. So there's no real, like, I think Noel Carew was saying, oh, everyone wants Sam Maguire as the goal. There's no way Sligo or Carlo or Antrim or, or Mead, for instance, are going to win the Sam Maguire. But why can't they have a, a prize come August, September to in the best weather that we have in the country rather than playing in February when it's shite weather? And you know, sloppy football and the training through it. And like you said, Corrigan's gone like from all competitive stuff and we're still in June. Like so whatever way is you say Martin they do restruct, they have to have some goal for the division three and four teams come September to be able to compete in Crow Park in front of a big crowd. But but you know? Conor, Conor is right. I mean there, there's a, there's almost a view that we never had one sided games in the <laughs> past as well. Now I know this was a bit special yesterday in terms of one sidedness, although Dublin did hit Longford for 1960 for 10 goals and 13 points in a 60-minute game. And they, uh, did they change the championship? No, they did not. Not alone that, Alan, but eight years later, Longford were Leinster champions, have won the National League in 1966. So things can change. But certainly we have seen, I mean, Kerry was, was a 921 that put on, on poor old Clare back in 1979. And, you know, we have, we have had very ones. And you're right, it doesn't matter what you do with the system. There'll be days when you get just just teams wiped out, and that's. The I, I guess the unique thing of the GA is like you can look at other sports and say, well, like you know, big teams beat weak teams, but they're professional sports. So these guys, even if you're playing for Zebra in the Pro 12, or you're playing for a team getting relegated in the Premier League, you're still getting paid to do that. Like, what's the motivation, as Rory said, for guys playing on the really weaker teams? To go back to training for another year if you just think you're going to lose by 31 points. Yeah, and look at Johnny yeah, McGee, well, they, were they, all, they all dropped off the panels to saying, I'm not putting all this effort. Yeah, no, you know I think we're I mean? always so. right. Like when I was playing inter-county football, everything I did was focused towards towards the start of June and the championship. And if that meant missing a few league matches or taking a few months off at the start of the year, which I did later on in my career. But I wonder now, every year, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder now, are the... Are the so-called weaker counties now starting to focus more of their attention on the league and they're not as worried about the championship come the summertime because that's when they're getting the competitive matches that's when they're seeing a the bit of silverware a bit of success and like certainly if I was playing for Westmead they're after getting out of the Division 4 that was probably their goal at the start of the year and they probably achieved their goal they knew they weren't going to beat Dublin if they got them like in a Leinster semi-final so I wonder is there are their efforts now focused on the National League yeah, Kieran, what do you make of that? Do you think like the weaker counties are maybe concentrating more on the league or should do because they play so many games and they can find out so much more about their teams during the spring than they can in the summer with maybe just two games? Yeah, well, the, the league the league format is brilliant, you know, because it, it, every week the weaker counties are going out and they're playing competitive games and they're getting seven games over you know a period of nine, ten weeks and they're improving and they're getting up to a level and then all of a sudden they hit this lull of six weeks before a championship they might lose a little bit of form they're coming into again bigger against a, a bigger team and all of a sudden the summer is over and their kind of bubble is worse so I, I, I'd agree with Alan like any, anybody that's been in there for National League Division 3 and Division 4 finals and you see what it means to teams to actually win a title in Crow Park and get in there and play it, it's fantastic and it's brilliant to see and that's why we have to give them the opportunity to, to, to drive for something, some sort of second-year competition. But they have to be realistic about it as well. And But the worrying aspect last night, I suppose, on the Sunday game was to see all the managers of the weaker team you know, saying that they still want to compete for Sam Maguire. And like, we have to be realistic about this. You know, If you're not at that level, uh, you have to get to a certain level and you do that by winning a second-year competition, like being a, a junior championship, an intermediate championship. You get the guys to buy into the process and you try to get there. So, like, the league format works really, really well. Um, and, and some people might argue, do we, need to, do we need to flip them? Do we need to have a, 
you know, the provincial championships in April and May and, and try and retain that aspect of it and have a provincial winner. But then, based on your provincial performance, you go into a seeded championship. Listen, there's loads of stuff that's been thrown out there over the years. Everybody has had different ideas. The, the Super 8 was maybe the first step to break in the tradition. That's what I'd like to hope. That's what I'd like to hope. It was the first step to break with tradition. Uh, we might see you know, phase two and phase three of it once that gets up and running. That's what I hope. But otherwise, the current format is not going to work going forward. Thanks, Kieran, and also thanks to Rory, Martin, Connor, and Alan for joining me in studio today. We'll be back on the throw-in next Monday to review the Leinster Hurling Final and the Munster Football Final. In the meantime, you could subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud or get us on independent.ie. But before I go, we're going to leave you with Rory O'Connor, who caught up with some fans after yesterday's Dublin match. Excuse me, sir, I'm just looking to get your thoughts on the Dublin Westmead game. Uh, yeah, 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 it was a good game, yeah. And who do you think was Dublin's best performer on the day? Ah, uh, your man, Darren McConley was deadly, yeah, great player. Uh, but he has a 12-week suspension. Uh, oh, well, uh, Brogan, Brogan was deadly. All right, good luck, Okay, th- thanks very much. How are we getting on? I'm still above here in Dublin, any chance of a lift to Mullingar? Bad day for Westmead yesterday. Oh, an atrocious day, useless. And what happened to your jersey? Why is it inside out? Ash, I was in Coppers last night and lads were slagging the bollocks out, so I fucking turned inside out, sick of Dublin pricks. Good luck. Well, how are you getting on? Well, what's the story? Are you happier still in the championship? Were you oh, down at the match? Oh, yes, I was, yeah. I turned the lift down. It was, a, it, was a, it was an awfully good win, though it was. <laughs> awfully, do you get awfully? <laughs> awfully good. Well, how's all the Monaghan after last weekend? Yeah. Oh, come off of the press, hey. I had the Monday after the Ulster final booked off work and all. Now I have to go in. And my boss is only a box. My man's he done all he could for us. I'm just awful upset. On the very army. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down.